This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, LS Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot How are you? I am very, very well, and thank you very much for agreeing to take part in this podcast. Uh, you're very welcome. So the first question is, who did you support when you were a kid, and who were your football heroes? I support. Actually, I'm a Liverpool fan. Nah. So, you know, as as there's a good story behind that. Basically, my brother supported Man United, so we, when we were growing up, there was a, a fierce rivalry between us, and uh, and that started when we were about seven and eight years old, and it was generally. Yeah, I'm picking Liverpool and he picked Man United and it, it's lasted ever since, really. Obviously, very keenly kept an eye on Swindon from a kid because my mum used to go and watch him when she was a little girl. You know, not, I don't know if everybody would know this, but Terry Woolen is my uncle. Obviously, he was a, an ex-famous Swindon Town footballer. Sadly, his career was cut short by injury. And Andy Woolen is my cousin who also played for Swindon before me. So, you know, there's a bit of history within the family. So, it was a... It was a big, big part of our life as well through our family growing up. Idols were really the the Kenny Daglish, Ian Rush, Mark Lawrence, and Alan Hansen. I loved. Probably should have known then I was going to end up at the back, but uh, yeah, Alan Hansen, Frank Reichard, people like that, ball playing centre backs really was uh, was the people I enjoyed watching. But that the great Liverpool teams in the 
in the late seventies when I was about nine or ten, winning European Cups, etc. You know, I was lucky enough to meet Alan Kennedy at Wooten Bassett's Comprehensive School once. He came in and did a talk, and I was fascinated at that time. And uh, yeah, real love for Liverpool, which has continued to this day. What is it about Swindon and the the top clubs? Because it's always been the case. It was the case when I was younger. It's the case now that Swindon as a, as a football club, regardless of who the owners are, just struggle to just build that that base. The lure of the Liverpools and the Manchester Uniteds, etc. of the world just seems to be quite quite significant in Wiltshire as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think I live in, in Gloucestershire now. I live in South Cerny, so I think you what you find is a lot of people travel uh, and live this way because prices in London are extortionate. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that commute from these areas. And if they commute, you know, there's a, I certainly know from working when I was working at Chelsea that there's about three trains every weekend that go from Swindon full of supporters of Chelsea. Mm. Supporters clubs. So I think it's the same for Tottenham. I'm sure it's the same for my United coaches. It's the same. My brother he used to go on a coach to May United. So I think they're always fighting against the elements of the pull of the bigger clubs. Um, I know it costs a lot of money to go, but the product and the model they get, you know, with no disrespect to Swindon at all, you know, if you're talking about going to Spurs' new stadium could be the best in the world now. And you're going to the county ground, you know, in League Two, sadly, which is a bit dated. Um, you know, in the early 90s, you know, the crowds were there because the team was pushing to get into the Premier League and it did. So, you know, I think that's the biggest crowds you've seen. I've seen it swinging in my lifetime. and uh, Obviously, it was because the product on the pitch was excellent. So, Hopefully, fingers crossed, if they can uh, start climbing the ladder again, um, then maybe you'll get a new uh, era of fans coming, younger elements. But they do need to... It's a fight, ongoing battle, I'd imagine, for the people at the club. Yeah. QPR and West Ham, they're the, they're the fans I always see at the train station when I'm turning yeah. up. They're the ones yeah. that are on their way elsewhere. But, oh, well, we'll get them eventually. So... What's your early memories of playing football, so within Swindon? Uh, well, yeah, obviously I'm from Wooten Bassett. Uh, in Swindon, but lived in Wooten Bassett all my early years up to about 20. So I, I started playing football, similar as most people I'd imagine, from the age of seven. Uh, played for Swindon boys from under-11s uh, all the way through to under-16s. And then the decisions was made to get scholarships and I left... Uh, Wooten Bassett Comprehensive to go straight into the scholarship with Swindon Town and uh, yeah Swindon Boys was an up and down road a bit like my career really um, some some age groups were good some age groups not so good sometimes I had uh, sliding doors moments where I didn't get selected for the under 13 squad and you know you think it's the end of the world at that stage and two other lads from Wooten Bassett goalkeeper Russell Emsworth I went with his family to watch him play, to give him the support. Got to the ground and somebody had been sick uh, who played in my position, obviously up front at that stage. Lucky enough, I had my boots in my bag in the back of their car. Uh, Mr Hobbs, who was the, the coach at that time, asked me if I had my boots with me, could I go on the bench? Yeah, went on the bench, came on, scored a trick in the second half and <laughs> that was the end of it, really. It sort of so it could have gone really could have gone the other way. Not being in that age group could have led to maybe not 
not getting a scholarship. So I think there's a lot of moments that you look back in in your career, and certainly early on for me, uh, that was a massive part um, and a big uh, big turn of an upward curve, really. But good times, played with some really good young players, a lot that went on to be Swindon Town apprentices, and obviously some that went on to be, uh, you know, in some of the best players to ever play for the club. So I was fortunate, and uh, yeah, it was a good time. I, I loved playing football when I was young. I played in school teams. I had, you know, it was. I come from a really hard-working background. Uh, you know, my mum my and my dad both worked different shifts. Um, my dad went to work all day, came home within half an hour. My mum was going to work in the evening. So I certainly got to see what hard work looked like very early on. Um, and I think that got instilled into us. So my mum was my biggest supporter, really. She was the one who came to all the school games on the coach. Real avid supporter. My dad didn't really get to see me play very much when I was young. Only, only once I started uh, playing with the youth team at Swindon, really. Mm. And in those early stages, who were in the same age groups as you? Uh, well, the, the first year I went to the to Swindon, uh, you had people like Dean Cassily, yeah. uh, Nigel Packer, uh, Philip Bell, Dave Barnett, um, probably. There was a couple of other, Gary Marshall came from Stroud, a couple of other lads who uh, we joined, obviously, the second years of which were like Pete Lango and uh, Denny Mundy and people like that. And uh, I think that that's quite an interesting story because Dean Cassidy, you know, to this day, and obviously I've worked in top-end development now, is as good as any young player I've, I've seen. Um, and and there was a there was a big... Uh, who are at that time because Lou Macari was the manager and I think I think all of those players I played with arguably had more ability than me I think that's being very honest but because of that hard work and continuing to graft was instilled in me within six months of us starting our scholarship uh, they'd all left and I was the only one there you know that that was that I found quite hard to take because like I say there's a lot of talent and certainly you know, of speaking to Nige, Nige Packer, you know, uh, recently when I saw him, it's a big regret in his life that that he took that option um, because they they just felt at that time. I think it's a long time ago now. It's not, not social media, but it's the the impact of, of earning very little money, and I mean very little money, yeah. to go and work. Dean Castley went to work in a factory to earn more money to be able to, you know, get on with his life, and it was a, it was a really drastic. A call from him, England schoolboy, international, really destined to be a first team star, I think. And uh, yeah, so so go. I went through that. I, I sort of lived through that, and I think that helped me grow up. If I'm honest, by seeing how other people uh, didn't quite have the drive, you know, to to get there. I think that gave me extra drive, um, and I think that was a good thing. You were centre forward to start with, as you mentioned. How yeah. good? How good were you? <laughs> I was very good when I was young. Very good at 11, 11, 12, You know, with all the hopefully the fans don't fall off their chairs. But um, at that at that age, I had pace, which <laughs> sadly went pretty quickly. But yeah, early days, I felt I could hold my own with um, with what I was competing against within Wiltshire or or certainly across England in the schoolboys games and the the FA Trophy matches, etc., for schoolboys, certainly felt that 
that at that level, I was equally as good as what I came up against. When I went into Swindon, it was more difficult. Uh, I think that's when you try, you start to find that obviously you go into players that arguably, like I said, are better than you. Um, you have to maybe find a different way. I started to be played on the left of a front three quite a lot early on. I don't think that took quite a while for me to acclimatise to that. And then, you know, there was the emergence below me of Paul Hunt, who, uh, you know, was another outstanding uh, schoolboy footballer, uh, brilliant his age group. And when Oggy came to, we were then second years, he came as a first year. There was the emergence of him. And and it was obviously around that time that I felt, oh, this is, you know, I'm really going to have to fight here because it's getting... uh, it's getting quite difficult. I had a difficult period in my first year as a scholar. I worked with an outstanding youth coach in John Trollope, you know, obviously legend of the club, but an outstanding coach taught me a lot of great values that I carried into my coaching. And, you know, he pushed us all every day to the limit. It didn't, it wasn't quite working out for me, I think, at the end of the first year. You know, we were probably both asking questions about where does it go from here? Another another moment in my, in my topsy-turvy life and career at that, at that stage but I, I decided to go away work harder over the summer came back and again it, it's moments other players probably getting pushed towards the first team quicker than me enabled me to have uh, more standout games in the youth team back playing in a nine a couple of hat tricks in certain games certainly started to uh, get fitter appear better and, uh, and, and that was a period we had a really solid six months leading into decisions made on full-time contracts. You know, obviously, uh, Lou was Lou Macari was the manager then. He had a very interesting meeting with my mum and dad after a first-team game where he was in the dressing room in his pants. Um, <laughs> which, you know, I, I mean, my mum's face, bless her. It was a story she told for many years after um, where they, they walked in. And he wanted to, he was meeting the parents at different times and, to be fair to Lou, he was spot on. His, his summing up with me was, I think he'll make a good career in the game. He's not going to be a world beater. He's not going to play in Champions League. Probably not going to play in the Premier League, but he'll earn a good, solid career. And he, he'll play a lot of matches. Um, and I think he was spot on. So, fair play to him. And, you know, to make that call in 1988 was a big thing. I was delighted to obviously get a two-year pro and um, fight against elements. And as I said, it was... Uh, it was interesting because all the people I'd come who'd grown up with me, who'd been with me through the journey, had sl- slowly but surely fallen by the wayside, and I was then, you know, left to fight on my own. I suppose that's what football is. It's uh, it's a team sport, but you're fighting as an individual. That's when the topsy turvy world of the senior stuff started, and um, well, it carried on through the nine and a half years I was there. Well, there's only one way you can get fit is to run and uh, most days we go out here and we run to start with and then uh, then we play with the ball. And you mentioned John Trollope there who I absolutely have to talk about. I always remember, you know, the documentary from the 92-93 season and yeah. John just is such a frustrated figure in the 90s about the way football coaching and and the way footballers are heading towards. And, you know, you, you hear coaches talk about that now in 2019, but, you know, almost 30 years ago, John is already frustrated with the restrictions and the way that he has to treat players, which is different to how he was treated and how he would treat players. So what was it like serving under John Trollope other than what you've said already? Uh, it was hard. 
it was very hard. It was a it was a real harsh, uh, hard upbringing for all of us. I think a lot a lot of work. You know, I think you realise how much effort and work he put into the job. Um, a lot of individual coaching, real strong uh, values. Again, John's obviously got tremendously strong values that obviously have gone into Paul as well. You know, the years those two have been in football is amazing, really. But he, he was. He, he was he was tough. Yeah, he was tough. He was uh, he, at the time. Uh, you you could have gone under. You know, there, there's no doubt about that. It was it was pushing you to the to the limits to try and drag every ounce of uh, of what you had inside you to get out. Um, sometimes you felt it was harsh. Other times you felt he might be right. Other times you felt you were right. You know, you had some very interesting meetings. Um, when you had your one-to-ones, and he was a very demanding man. I don't think he would mind me saying that. He, you don't play 770-odd games for Swindon if you're not a demanding character. He, he had an unbelievable playing career. He's, a, he's an in, incredible man, and uh, but he was he was hard. Yeah, he was hard to work for. I think he was hard, hard but fair, and that's probably the best way I can sum him up. But he was working at that time. He was working in a club that. You know, Lou Macari's team was built on that. The team was built on he was trying to produce young players to get into Lou's team that did six mile runs on a Thursday Thursday morning and ran all over teams on Saturday and got hundred odd points in Division Two. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he he needed to do that. We we spent many or I spent <laughs> many sessions running back from the training ground after a session with the minibus pulling away in front of him and him running in front of me. Um, and you know that's how he was We, he ran with us he was incredibly fit uh, he ran with us you couldn't finish behind him and when he when you finished in front of him he was immensely proud um, and he, he let you know that as well so <laughs> I, I, I'm very fortunate to work under him yeah I was fortunate yeah I was just about to say that but you pretty much said it yourself like John Trollope's ideology was the ultimate finishing school for Lou Macari's regime which was notably tough so maybe that's why Oggy got through Summerby got through Simpson got through yourself got through because well you were ready yeah well um, yeah I mean obviously that you know Fitz Fitzroy and um, and Nicky you know obviously went on to have you know big moves to Man City um, both had tremendous careers you know to, to think Fitz turned up at an FA Youth Cup game, this scruffy little boy from Melksham with a big afro, um, and went on the pitch. And, you know, you hadn't really seen power like it. You know, I could see that he excited John to work with him. Nicky was was an incredible crosser of the ball, came down from Manchester. I mean, Nicky and, and Oggy were really good friends. We were all close during those years. We had a, a brilliant time together during our academy years. Um yeah, they they were just great great lads, and, and Oggy was arguably you know had a better talent than both of them. Sadly for for Og, he has his own own regrets that he'll have through his life about what went on. Sometimes you know you don't get the support Oggy needed the support that young footballers get now, uh, and there's a lot of stuff going on about it that they get. People are all fighting battles in different ways, and uh, he, just, he just needed a bit of guidance because his debut against Oxford was sensational. You know, it it was it was incredible. He played brilliantly, packed house against your local rivals. It was amazing that game. 
and everyone thought, here we go. And, and sadly, you get derailed with, with other things that end up in, in costing you a chance. But we got through, yeah, Nige as well. I mean, there's, there's probably 10. You know, I think I think if I remember, probably 10 through those two years. I think with our, our year, we had seven seven first-year apprentices, and I think it hadn't been, there hadn't been seven for I don't know how many years. But it was a big thing. It was a big thing made of it. And obviously, John was integral to that because any coaches you work through through your journey, all the Swindon boys, once they play a part, and the youth coach has to take you through that final step. And uh, yeah, he should be immensely proud. I'm sure he is. We've told him enough times, bless him, since. Um, <laughs> but he should be very proud of the work he did with us, yeah. Yeah. For footballers before the 90s or late 90s or even in the last 10, when, when you see now you have match day squads of 18... And back then you had two players on the bench. It must be tremendously frustrating if you were on the periphery and didn't quite make it because obviously more subs now gives you more opportunities to get a couple of minutes here and there, doesn't it? Yeah, it was certainly a long way to Newcastle on two boxing days for me. <laughs> to, uh, to sit in a stand twice. Yeah, not make that sub. Uh, be the one who was having the turkey sandwiches. But yeah, it was... It was it, yeah, it was... A, it, I think every generation will say that it was difficult. I think to get through at your hometown club around those times, I, you know, in, in being brutally honest, I'm not sure how much the fans engaged in the local players getting through. Maybe that was because not all the fans were local fans. I think it, it certainly appeared harder when, you know, sometimes it should be easier. Um, but you know, if you've got if there's no if you've got a lack of money, you know that journey started in League Two. Obviously, by the time you're going through the journey and, and Glenn Oddle is managing, then you know there's a bit more resources, although not a lot, but there's a bit more, and and you're able to attract you know top name players that he from Spurs, etc. Then it then it becomes very difficult. Yeah, but the best ones still got through. You know, we we all ended up. On our paths, you, 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 I'm, I'm a believer in you end up getting where you're meant to get and you play at the levels you're meant to be at. And, uh, you know, that we all had relatively decent careers in, in wherever we ended. So I think we can all look back and think, like I said, it was a special time to, to be a youth player there. Uh, unprecedented success in the nine years I was there for the first team. Um, amazing scenes, brilliant, brilliant uh, managers, brilliant matches. And, uh, and lifelong friends in the youth setup. You know, me and Oggy are, are still, you know, best friends, uh, you know, and, and uh, I'm very thankful for that. Amazing. And I think it's absolutely spot on what you say now. To have one of your own is now very popular, isn't it? To have somebody who uh, is from the area and playing in the in the first team, it's it's what fans tend to lean towards now. But when I was growing up, we couldn't, I mean, I speak only for myself, really, but I don't remember people going, but you don't understand, he's from Swindon. It's all, he's, he's from Wiltshire. It's, it's like, whoever's good, you know, play them. And, and you've got your superstar players. You don't really think about where they're from, certainly when I was a kid. But now, your Nathan Thompson's are kids' favourite players and things like that because they went to the same schools and, and that goes a long way, doesn't it? We'll stick with the Lumakari era because you, you don't play in the first for Lumakari, but... 
it was the tail end of that great era in reserve football, which was the football combination, where because of Rich Banyard's wonderful archive site, I've had a look through all the results and and the the, t- the players you played alongside before your debut, and there were some absolutely bonkers results in in the football combination like six fours four fours all over the place and yet like only 124 go and watch it and things like that what was it like for you in the early stages of of being in in the first team because you're playing against or alongside some some veterans some absolute heroes from the Bakari era what what was that like the football combination first of all was a fantastic tournament it, it because we got the chance to go and play at Stamford Bridge, Wyatt Lane, uh, Highbury, you know, and certainly you're right. The, the, we played Spurs, I remember, once at the county ground and they had Vinnie Samways and Terry Fennick, who obviously came to play for Swindon and Paul Allen and this one and that one. And we're looking around, we're going to, you know, it was like playing a, a Spurs first team. And also for us young lads, there definitely was more senior players that played. Um, you know, so you're right. I played alongside some real hard senior centre half. John Cornwall, the Geordie, you know, really was a midfield player. He played alongside me in my first combination game. I know I couldn't say the language that he was using to me on here, but he gave you a really good grounding. Ross McLaren, obviously another fantastic player for the club, playing in, in combination games with him at times. You know, real brilliant education that, Again, having been where my life has gone and, and been working in, they don't get the opportunities like that anymore. And uh, it, it helps you grow up and it makes you grow up quickly. Plus, we were playing in a, in a really strong brand of football. And yeah, we got, you know, we got some tankings. We did. Uh, you know, we lost six at Chelsea and seven at Arsenal. But Arsenal had Anders Limpard and Paul Merson and Perry Grove. You know, these types of players and the speed, I just remember the speed um, of which they move the ball. And also then, which is probably the same with Norwich now, I used to play Norwich in the combination on a Friday night and there'd be 5,000 minimum there. And, you know, now you're starting getting introduced to crowd before you get to the first team. Now, you could play at Swindon in front of seven. I don't think it was 124. I think it was about <laughs> seven at the counting ground. But... But, but the bigger games away, certainly in Norwich uh, and Arsenal, we were lucky. We used to play on a Saturday. We used to travel down probably on a minibus by then which, with uh, Eddie Buckley, God rest him, uh, in the front, uh, handing out sweets. And, um, <laughs> you know, the rest of us all crammed up in this minibus. And we get to Ivory and like all the staff would look at this minibus come around the corner and... We always used to look forward to the London trips because we've got fish and chips from Hammersmith Odium on the way back out. It pulled in. You'd go in and, and the, it was heated floors. And obviously, heated floors. We we were used to getting up and I was used to getting up at six and leaving Bassett and getting two buses to walk to the cutting ground for eight. And, uh, and there'd be no eating. So uh, it was lovely, lovely contrast. And it gives you that, gives you that thirst to achieve high. You know, and let, I'll say it again. You know, that team, that you know, Summerby, Fitz, you know, they came out of that team to be Premier League players. So it must have struck a chord with them. But it was a really strong competition. I think I think that, you know, football misses it. Having worked in development at the top level, it's what they're crying out for. You know, sorry to go off track, but the checker trade, leasing.com, whatever you call it now, is a step. But it, it still needs to go a lot further than that. The combination... 
you know, obviously I work with Mark Robbins now, as you know, and he played for Man United in the old reserve league. And he just says it was brutal. Um, it was a brutal upbringing. You're playing against men who kicked you everywhere. And, and I think that's what it is. I played against Mick Arford. <laughs> Mick Arford, who smashed my left eye in. I played against Gary Thompson at QBI, who did the other one, on the old Astro pitches. And, you know, you, you can't get a better education than that. If you, you have to grow. You have to grow up. If you don't, you, you sink or swim time. And, uh, yeah, I, they, were, they, were, they were good days. Yeah, I enjoyed them. Yeah, I see one at Highbury. Your opposition included Kenny Samson, Paul Davis, Perry Groves, Noel Quinn and Kevin Campbell. <laughs> yeah, well, I got a scar from Noel Quinn under my chin, actually. <laughs> so it wasn't from there. It was when he was at Sunderland, that, actually. We played him with Swindon. But, yeah, they, look, fantastic players. You know, and, they, and the, the one thing about it then was they did it right. I always remember, you know, and, and it was one thing that, again, I took with me because, you know... I didn't always, as we know, didn't always play in first teams at every club I was at. But the reality is I always took that with me, that they did it right. Every time they played a game, they played the match. They didn't worry whether it was a reserve game, first team. The Arsenal boys against us were ruthless. They just, they were ruthless. They went from minute one to minute 94, did it properly, out the kids around them. And I always, I always felt I would take that forward with me, probably another another part of my jigsaw learning that I was going to go into youth coaching probably but yeah I, I, that was one big lesson I took with me was their application pick somebody out far post for Shearer goal yes wonderful goal all the way from the moment that Hazard picked him out so Lou gives you your first pro deal what were your feelings when he left? Were you? Is it like? Is there a feeling of what? What's going to happen next? Who's going to come in? Or or was it? Well, he hasn't given me chance in the first team yet, so I'm looking forward to seeing who comes in and, and take it from there. No, I think look, you're young, aren't you? So when you're young, you, you know it is a bit of excitement. Um, there's a, always be grateful for the fact that he he believes something was there in you because he gave you a deal. Um, but I think excitement to see what was what was around the corner, you know. But obviously, I was at Swindon in, in the greatest period in their history and, and with some of the greatest centre-halves in their history. So it was always going to be tough whoever was in charge. But you probably feel that you're going to get, you might get more opportunities as a fresh start, as a chance to show people. I mean, he, you know, Lou, get, I was on the bench at Man City away with Lou in charge. That was my first taste of, First team football warming up at the old main road, being spat at and chucked everything over you while you're warming up. And again, there's nothing can prepare you for that. It was 38,000 there. So, you know, I appreciated that. But I think, yeah, you're, you're looking to see if the next man maybe sees something different in you. Yeah. Mm. What were the the senior centre-backs like with you when you were when you were integrating into the first team? So you had like Colin Calderwood and John Gittins around that time, wouldn't it? What, what were they like around you? Did you see you as opposition, as, as competition, or were they very much, uh, did they guide you and did they sort of nurture your career? What were they like? Uh, they're, both, they're both great people. Uh, sadly, obviously, John's not with us anymore, but, uh, you know, Colin is arguably one of the greatest players ever to play in a swimming shirt. So I felt very fortunate to to see his professionalism and and be around him. They were they were like chalk and cheese, weren't they? You know, John 
John had pace to burn. The ball would go under his own foot. He'd race back 60 yards, make a sliding tackle, and the crowd would go mental. And I always, I always found that strange because they forgot that it had gone under his foot in the first place. But Colin was uh, calm, calculated, fantastic defender, read the game unbelievably well. I think he was more, not a role model, but he was more somebody I looked to because, you know, I felt, Certainly in that transition into centre-half, that was more my game. I wasn't going to have the pace of John Gittins. I was going to have to be very good in my head. You'd have to ask them, Rich, if they saw you as a threat. I think initially they would think, well, this is a young lad coming through. When it changes is probably when you go into the first team and, and actually play some games in a row. Or, you know, obviously most of my opportunities came when either of them was suspended or injured. You know, I certainly remember playing a few games with John in a, in a period and I always felt that security of knowing that pace was next to you meant that you could go really tight. I think that probably helped me be a little bit more aggressive in certain early stages of my centre-back career. Um, with Colin, I think it was just the calmness, you know, understanding how you, you, can, you can dictate a game from the back. So I certainly learned a lot of them. Um, I I felt that I would threaten them, but it would need to be. I needed to play games, and that's obviously like any player would say. You need a consistent run of games to show your true form. But early on, yeah, they they played. Colin was great with all the young players. Certainly took a keen interest, tried to help us. But but always, I remember from those days. You know, Lou Macari days. Chris Kamara was there at that time. Uh, you know, some some Steve White, <laughs> some Dave Bamba, you know, some real characters, uh, Fraser Digby, you know, Paul Bowden, etc. You've got these people. All I used to remember is trying to trying to spend as much time on away trips, sitting and listening to these people talk because you could be like a sponge. You could really lap it up. They had some unbelievably interesting conversations and debates. I mean, they'd be brilliant in the jungle at the minute. <laughs> Uh, around that time and I think for young people young players that I don't see that that goes goes along anymore um, because the the social media and the impact of people on their phones there's no mobile phones then you know you just had you just chatted you know you just sat there and, and you know I learned so much about pensions and pips and and stuff like this you know as well as like football stuff so I think all of those players were, were a great help to the younger lads coming through, not just me, but yeah, the centre backs. Um, they probably they probably played uh, a big part, um, but as I say, with John Cornwall, he played equally as big a part because of the games I played with him in the combination. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I think you learn from everybody, and I probably took little bits from all of them. People always say the word character. What does character mean within a changing room, within a bus, within a within a football club? character i mean colin colin had a character he was a lead, obviously natural leader so a natural leader is somebody that takes on a, on themselves to to have all the all the right traits you want in a footballer to be to be impeccable trainer to work 110% every day to make sure that he takes time out to speak to fans to to speak to the lady doing the gene doing the kit to Eddie Buckley, as I said, to the coach driver, not treating anybody any differently, um, but also having the character to front up to people, to demand more from your teammates, to to raise standards, to 
to go out on the pitch and and not be phased by whatever you're going to face. You know, you have you have a real character to play at your optimum in any given situation. I think that's what I look as character and Colin Cordwood is is arguably you know probably the greatest leader I've played with or under and you know he just he just it came naturally to him but there was a, there was massive characters in that the team that Lou McCurry built had characters throughout the pitch different types Chris Ramsey who obviously has now got a, you know gone into a successful coaching career Chris Chris had character and bravery to accept the ball in any situation and that was unheard of in league 2 at that time because Lou's teams obviously played it forward into Quinney Jimmy Quinn and had runners from everywhere. Charlie Henry, you know, obviously the the golden boy of Swindon football at that time, come through from a kid and had an unbelievable career. Was brilliant in that team. But Chris Ramsey came and started getting the ball on the edge of his own box and doing stepovers, and you know it, that was unheard of. It was, and and I think that takes character. Character to be able to receive the ball, you know, character to. Like I say, to be able to to be able to take a group of men, that strong men. I mean, that was a team of men. That dressing room, that swimming dressing room, was a team of men. It, you had to grow up quickly to survive in it. It wasn't like um, like now. I mean, you know, obviously I, where I work, country at the moment. You know, our average age of our team is twenty two. So, you know, it's still very very young. Um, but that dressing room, the average age must have been twenty eight. And it was full of full of leaders, full of strong opinions, full of uh, really good people, winners, uh, people who would go the extra mile for each other. But they fell out at times. That's what happens in dressing rooms. So, you know, the character to stand up for your beliefs. If you've got, if you stand up for your beliefs, then you've got a strong character. Bobby Barnes, individual, brilliant player, never got on really with many people. Very. <laughs> very strong opinions and that ruffled people's backs up some really interesting moments in dressing rooms with him but an unbelievable player came from West Ham brilliant upbringing great West Ham famous academy what a player with the ball incredible player so that time sometimes can get forgiven because you they're going to win your games and uh, yeah so there's a lot of mavericks mavericks and characters we got we got mavericks we got men but you've mentioned one gentleman twice and I Bloody love hearing stories about him, and that's Eddie Buckley. Uh, oh, Eddie, Eddie, God rest him. I mean, you know what a gentleman he was. He was an incredible man. Um, he is, you know, he, whenever I think about Swindon, he he was Mister Swindon. He he was he was brilliant with us kids. Uh, the best stories. My friends, obviously, schoolboy friends, still say it now. We're playing in the youth team at Lydia Park, and Eddie, obviously, John and Eddie, Eddie would be John. He thought it was John's number two and John was taking the team. Eddie's on the other side of the pitch and John would shout out, John would shout out, Eddie, you know, use the width a little bit more on the left-hand side and you'd wait about three seconds and Eddie'd go, Eddie, use the width a little bit more on the left-hand side. And it was just, he shouted exactly the same as John said, but three seconds later. And um, I remember watching... Uh, I think it's the Blind Side, the movie, and it. it, it I was in bur- burst of tears thinking of thinking of Eddie because it just reminded me of that. The assistant coach says the same thing. There's another clip in American Pie where he he re- reiterates what the coach is saying, and and that was Eddie. And he had a, he had every sweet going in his pocket. I mean, he was like uh, Mary Poppins that 
<laughs> he just pulled, put his hand in his pocket and he pulled out all these sweets, every different flavour, and just had a smile that lit up a room. Was was a really lovely man, and um, yeah, driving driving the minibus. I mean, the amount of wrong turns we took in London, I don't know, but it turned out to be an education because Eddie would point out all the landmarks that we shouldn't be anywhere near, but we're in the centre of London now, and it's okay, we'll get the kickoff put back. Well, we didn't. We turned up and 20 minutes later, we're getting run ragged by Chelsea. But, yeah, he was, he was a wonderful man. He, he, yeah, big part of the club. And, uh, again, fortunate to be growing up in, at a time when he was there. Yeah, I, I mean, when I went to Chelsea, the, the kit man there, Bob Osborne, was the under-nine coach, an outstanding coach for young players. But he was the kit man with the first team. And, oh, you never find work, you know, better than... Bob, he did this with the first team, did that. And Jim Fraser, I remember saying to me, AD, are you going to tell him or me? Eddie Buckley blows that out of water. So, bless him. Yeah, it was a lot of times he, uh, he'd forget his own airs. He always used to remind me of, of Laurel, Stan Laurel, you know, with his hair and he'd rub his hand through his hair. And uh, when I watched the Laurel and Hardy movie, that, that was a nice moment thinking of Eddie. But Art of Gold, do anything for the club. And he did. Um for little reward, one of these, you know, unsung heroes that that needed at clubs, you know, especially the lower clubs all around the land. So, yeah, he was he was a special bloke. He's a big miss. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Early cross, chance for White. Wonderful goal for Steve White. Magnificent goal. A lovely cross. The glory of Swindon Town is that we can go from people like Eddie Buckley to Ozzy Ardiles now. So, um, what were your experience before we get to your debut? What, what were your experiences of Ozzy? What do you remember when he came in? And it was a change of philosophy, but not too drastic. What are your memories there? Well, he, you know, being very excited, he's a World Cup winner, an incredible player, uh, technically very gifted. You know, I just remember him being quite a quiet, very humble man. Liked a cigarette, to be fair. I mean, my first memories are Ozzy uh, when he was at the end of his career at Blackburn and they played at the county ground in a night game. And obviously we were sweeping the dressing rooms then. And Ozzy was still in the dressing room and, he, and, you know, we're waiting. Obviously, we've then got to catch buses home and it's getting quite late now and they won Blackburn 3-1. And Ozzy's in the dressing room and he, <laughs> it's at those days and he's got a roll up. And he's smoking, sitting there in his like pants and getting ready to go. And he's, oh, sorry, sorry, boy, sorry. And, uh, you know, obviously the English he found quite difficult, but he had that lovely little softly spoken voice. Um, and I remember that, that he walked out of the room. Sorry, I've kept you very polite. And there was like all these 30 cigarette butts on the floor that he'd obviously been having through the game. But I remember how good he was in the match. And you're just thinking, you are thinking that there's going to be a different philosophy because he's bringing a South American flavour, that incredible Argentina team that won the World Cup, you know, the way they played. And that was my first memory, is being very excited to, to work with a World Cup winner. You know, this is Swinning Town, and Ozzy Ardiles is coming to manage it. It was a bit surreal, really, mm. um, as a young lad. And training did change. He did a lot of sharp fight uh, seven-a-side matches. He loved joining in. Um, he was still incredible. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of stuff with the ball. And he obviously wanted his teams to play in a certain way. And, you know, obviously that culminated in, in you know, me having a change of position. I mean, that's, that's he's the man that really is the person who, who saw in me the potential to play in first-team matches and uh, at centre-half. And, 
again, I, I should be forever grateful. But I really enjoyed working with him. I really enjoyed working under him. Again, it was obviously up and down times, like it's going to be. You know, you now I then had to fight against a World Cup winner in Nesta Lorenzo. So it didn't get any easier. But um, no, you know, again, he, he brought... He brought some really good players to the club. He brought a lot of good ideas to the club. He had, he was, he had a very, very nice way about him. Very calm on the touchline. Very calm in the dressing room. But I think he was good for young players. I think he played quite a lot of us uh, at that time in different spells. And I think he he believed in young players. Yeah, I what was it like for you as a upcoming member of the first team squad going through the summer of 1990. So, of course, you would have been at Wembley. You would have seen town dominate proceedings from pretty much from beginning to end. We knew that we could face some sort of punishment. We go to Wembley. The seed, the players that played around that time have talked about it. But what about you as a young player? Because you're going home from that thinking, I'm in the first division, you know? And then it's taken away from you. Um and taken away from all of us. What what, what are your memories of, of that summer? Yeah, I mean, you know, fantastic experience to, to be at Wembley, um, you know, and watch Swindon play incredibly well. Uh, as you said, totally dominated the game. And then you, you're on such a high, aren't you? During the summer, I think fear started to drift into the players. I think as a young player, you're thinking, well, you know, this is your hometown club going into the promised land, if you like. You know, did you think that would ever happen? How strong is the club going to be? I think there's ups and downs. You're, also, you're always thinking, well, that means there's going to be more high-quality players joining. Everybody would do that. So you're going to have to fight again. But then I think once it started to emerge, the problems in terms of the financial issues and everything, then, then it was a real, real worry that we were going to be, you know, put back even a league below. And I think that's when you start to start to really get concerned. I mean, I, I remember just feeling very, very sad for the lads that played. Don't think you think all about yourself. You just think, God, they put in such a good performance. They, some of them worked their old careers. That was maybe the biggest moment in their career to win at Wembley and then go and play in the in the top league, and it's being taken away from them. So you feel a sense of injustice. Um, at the same time. You're just happy to to really the fact that you've that you've still got a club. I think that came into a lot of our minds, and we did speak about it a few of us that the club was still going to survive because there was all sorts of stories coming out, and and then you start to get fearful because you know it, it's not the modern day. You just you're just normal people with mortgages with families, and you're just you, you're playing football to try and do well and, and achieve things because. It was just different different times. It was different times, certainly the financial element of football. But yeah, that that those are my abiding memories. And then when it obviously happened, you feel you feel you feel gutted. You know, you feel gutted when the when the actual decision was made, yeah, you feel gutted. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the nineteen ninety ninety one season, which is appearance wise, your most successful season. Um we haven't even you haven't even played yet, but it, it would go on to be quite a productive one for yourself. And you make your debut ooh, against Middlesbrough, isn't it, in the in September 1990? And yeah. you know, being honest, whenever I remember when I was growing up, you mentioned Adi Vivash, and I remember my dad would go, "Ooh," because you had a debut to forget, which which is even 
more of a testament to yourself that that there's a career after because nowadays if you have the perceived debut that you had you're playing for Highworth or you're playing for Supermarine in, at least on loan within weeks and months of that because you made your debut in, in, in the second tier of English football which is no mean feat it's incredible you were played out of position against Middlesbrough were you were you prepping to play in that position in the build-up or was it all very quick and can you do a job here please AD? Well no is the answer I mean obviously I was incredibly proud you know it was, it, it was what what was meant to be a really proud day for me obviously turned out to be a, a very difficult experience there's no hiding away from that but I, if I'm honest I felt more I felt more gutted for my family and friends that were in the crowd you know they'd waited a long time you know my parents my, my uh, you know my wife at the time, my my best friends from Wooten Bassett, they were all there, you know, and, and I, I felt more gutted for them. I know I hadn't been prepped in that position. Uh, when I think back, it's it's even more uh, probably strange because Nicky Somerville was sub as well, who obviously is a winger. Um, <laughs> and certainly, you know, what happened, obviously, when I was then replaced by Nick was the fact that he went on the side and, so it was a little bit strange. Perhaps in Aussie's head, he had that I'd played there before. I think he, I think he wanted to try and shore it up defensively. So it, it, you know they do do it. I mean, I've obviously seen it. You know, with uh, Ryan Bertram playing in front of Ashley Cole in the Champions League final. So I've seen how it works, but sadly, it, it didn't work. And I, I did. I, I remember feeling extremely out of my uh, my comfort zone. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. It, w- it wasn't a surprise to me when he did it uh, because you could just sense the way it was going. Um, but there's nothing, there's nothing in, there's nothing that can ever prepare you for that. No. no, there's nothing that can prepare you for that feeling. The best story is after. So the, so the best bit of it is afterwards. And this is how people in your unit, family unit, or your friends, or you know the support player, the support groups around players nowadays is incredible. They obviously have agents who've got their own conditioners. I, you know, I've been in that world where I see it with the top young players. But for me, it was about what happened in the evening. So it was a lovely day. I get home, obviously gutted. Nobody wants to talk to me. They don't know what to say. Uh, and I just, I was in a little bit of a daze, if I'm honest. And I thought to myself, I can't just sit around. I need to go. I'm going to go over to Wimbassa. I'm going to see my mates. I'm going to see. And I knew exactly where they'd be. We used to go and play a game called Area Game on uh, St. Bartholomew's. I shouldn't really say this. But on uh, on a school uh, playing pitch. So we'd just go in there. You could drive in. We'd park there. Um, and we'd have a game of area game. We had to score from every corner of the six-yard, 18-yard penalty, crossbar, etc. Just games you make up as kids. We did it from when we were young, and we still did it. And uh, I, th- I knew they'd be there. Um, so I'm driving. At that time, I've got my first car, was a, which was a red Escort, which made a noise like it was driving a plane down the road. So you could hear me coming from 15 miles away. And... Uh, they were playing on the wreck and they say after now they were just going, Oh, what's he how do you think he's feeling? What's he doing now? And suddenly they go, No, it's not and I've come around the corner and they can hear me coming, so I park the car, I get out of the car, and they just look at me and just absolutely burst out laughing. And it was the best thing for me because it's the people that can laugh at you. 
yeah. because they're, they're, they're doing it with love. And it was just, it was, it was what I needed. And we just started giggling about it. What are you going to do now? You're going to come and play for Bassett Town and just loads of banter, loads of stuff that I needed at the time. And it got me out of it. I went back in on the Monday. Ozzy asked to see me. He obviously explained his decision, which he didn't have to do. He, he apologised for doing it. He said he'd never had to do it in his career before. He hoped he'd never do it again. You know, obviously, I've no, I've seen him years after Mickey Hazard. It happened to him. If it happens to, me, if it happened to Mickey Hazard, then it can happen to me. Um, and, you know, and I've seen it happen to a few players, you know, during, obviously, my, my career at other clubs. I've played with people it's happened to. And, obviously, I've been able to try and help them when, I, when it's happened. But it, it was a very, very low moment. But the, I keep going back to this strength of character. The fact that I'd seen seven of my teammates leave within six months of being in the club. The fact that, you know, I had adversity. The fact that that happens on your debut. I think I think you just it just adds to your shield. Uh, you know, I built a shield around me. Like I said, I, I had a lot of stick through my young years at Swindon. And it just added to the shield. I, I was It just made me more determined to, to be a success. I always thought the second leg of the League Cup against Darlington was probably the best thing that could have happened to you at that time because, of course, Town were down and out losing the th- first leg 3-0. So, you know, Aussie, that's your first game after that, isn't it, I think? so. Yes. So yeah. that's like nothing to lose, sort of zero stakes, and then Town go and win 4-0. And that must have been, even if you, if you can remember, it must have been a, a real boost in morale for you at that point as a professional? Yeah, it was, a, it was a, as you say, it was a nothing to lose game. I was on the bench in the away game um, and, and we got well beaten. You know, obviously they come back. And, and I, I also remember, because Oggy played in that game, Sean Close played in that game. You know, we had quite a youthful look about us because obviously probably nobody gave us a chance, but we did. Um, and yeah, we scored early and... Um, we played some great football. I remember that, and it was, it was yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant to be, to be out on the pitch, back on the county ground. You know, it's what it's what you dream of as a kid. You know, to play for Swindon and play on the county ground. And you know, I remember it was a nice evening. The pitch was was nice and wet. It, you know, we did. We played some really good football, and and to get a four 0 you know, and, and to knock them out was was brilliant. Dressing room after complete contrast, and that's where you learn about the emotions in football that. You can be very low one minute and then, you know, not very long after, you can be extremely high. And, you know, you've got to remember those moments for certainly, as you know, it's obviously my debut, so full debut. So, yeah, I remember it very fondly and more so because of the performance and the result. And uh, probably gave me a little bit more standing in the eyes of people that is rightly, as you said, you know, we're going to, we're ready to write you off anyway, but they write you off after because they don't worry about, a lot of people don't worry about where players come on, whether they're out of position. They've played in the first team, they've been replaced, they must be useless. Mm. That That is a concept of life. You know, it was the same then. Nowadays, you get 60,000 putting a tweet out, uh, which makes it even more harder for these top players. But, you know, it's life. And, and I think it helped me on my journey, like I said. And, uh, yeah, I get asked about it quite a lot now still. But I give the same answer. You know, it's one of those things that happened. We go through a lot of difficult moments in our lives, and I certainly have in mine. And, and you know, that, that helps shape you and it helps you deal with adversity, and uh, it, it did with me. It must be a very 
so many varying emotions when a teammate gets injured as Colin Calderwood did but you've also got to have that feeling of this is my chance as well right yeah you've got you know I, I always always thought to myself you've got to be ready you know it's it's what I tell players now that you know, at the end of the day, there's only one man who picks a football team. That's the manager. So, you know, at any club, the manager picks a football team and he can only pick 11 players. But if you get, well, you get your chance, it doesn't matter. Whether it's through loss of form, whether it's through injury, whether it's through an off-the-field incident, because that sometimes happens, <laughs> you know, uh, a suspension or something or, or something out of the ordinary. You know, people get injured walk, falling down the stairs at home or dropping something on their foot or the kids do something to them. So I always made it in my head, I always, through my career, and that was the start of it, I wanted to be ready if I got an opportunity. Um, and certainly that season, I felt I was ready. I felt I was mentally ready. I felt I was technically ready. I felt the team played the football that I wanted to play. Um, you know, because obviously my upbringing as a front player and as a wide player meant that, you know, I like to play. I like to play out from the back. That was my, one of the advantages I had. I was quite calm in possession. So I was ready. I was ready to play. You can't think about you're replacing, you know, the captain, the, the you know, arguably the best centre-back in the league. You, you, you can't think about that. You have to just think, I have to bring A.D. Vivash into this team, not, Colin Calderwood's replacement. Yeah. I have to be true to myself, and and that's how I approached it. And um, yeah, I mean, it was you know obviously Colin getting injured was a blow for the whole club. It was, but you know that's why you have squads. And um, I think that was also me learning about the importance of a squad because you know I managed to fill in for that time and and, and did a reasonable job. The name Adi Vivash is is a, is a major name in my childhood, and it, it's because it's one of the Starting 11s, I can reel off of my mind instantly. One, Digby. Two, Kersalake. Three, Bowden. Four, McLaughlin. Five, Vivash. Six, Gittins. Seven, Tom Jones. Eight, Duncan Shearer. Nine, Steve White. Ten, Ross McLaren. And 11, Fitzroy Simpson, because that is the first lineup I ever saw when <laughs> as, as a Swindon fan. So, you know, you are there. Regardless, and on the bench was Oggy and Steve Foley as well. So it's 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 funny how football works like that. I couldn't name you the lineup that Swindon had two weeks ago, but I can reel off that first ever lineup that I ever saw. So Adi Vivash is 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 a big name for 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 me in 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 my life, and and the first season that I go is the season where you're playing regularly but it is it's a mentally challenging season for Swindon Town Football Club because of what happened the summer before and it just felt like there was a cloud I mean I say it felt like I didn't feel like it to me I'm a kid but it it, from everyone I talked to it just felt like it just never got going as a season for everyone yeah I mean I think you know like I said I was somebody who who didn't play in the game but but all the players was coming back having played in the game so their sense of injustice was massive. And it's like if you, you know, really, it felt like we'd lost the playoff final. Mm. I think that's the best way of explaining it. Because when you lose a playoff final, as I have done in my career, you go back in and in pre-season, you come back in early because you've you've basically done four more weeks of the season to not achieve your goal. And then it is very difficult early on to pick yourself up. And if you don't get a grip of it quickly then the season sort of just goes away. And I think that's what happened. We, 
it, it was difficult. The fans found it difficult. They, they felt injustice. The, the players felt injustice. But then, then it becomes a downward spiral that you can't control because you can't turn, you know, it's not turning a light switch on and off football. It's, you have to be in the moment. You have to be ready every single minute. And obviously, certain players were hurting and it, and it affected. We lost players for injury. You know, and I think it, it, I don't know about a dark cloud over the club. It was just a real sense of injustice was probably all through the season there, which doesn't make things easy. Um, you're obviously the fixtures come out and you're looking where you should have been and somebody else is playing them. Yeah. And you're going to places you don't want to be going to. So <laughs> it, it, I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't the case. But yeah, it was a it was a difficult time. It was a difficult couple of years that should have been the best couple of years. I get to do my first bit of name dropping now. So a couple of weeks ago, I was very lucky to be in the company of one Nesta Lorenzo around the county ground. And he was looking at all the pictures. And one of the first people he, he pointed to on the montages was Adi Vivash. Didn't pronounce your name correctly, but uh, <laughs> what are your memories of Nesta? Uh, one, of the, one of the best human beings I've ever met in my life. Just incredible gentleman, wonderful player, brilliant player. But definitely the most eccentric centre-back partner I've ever played with. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday away when Trevor Francis, Paul Williams and David Hurst are the front three. And you're thinking, oh my God, this is going to be a long afternoon. Even longer when you look round and see your centre-half partner playing three one-twos. He's in the box at the other end. Um, it just... Just incredible uh, trying to learn the English way, but bringing that Southern flavour. He was uh, such a strong man. Wow. Uh, very, very powerful. And obviously the language barrier was, was difficult. But, you know, we got we got through with football football ability and a, a little bit of Wiltshire now, I think. Um, <laughs> but I, re- I really enjoyed playing in the same team as him. I thought, I thought he was, uh, I thought he was uh, technically... For a centre half, thought it was incredible. I think if he was playing now, they'd be talking about the Ferdinands and that, you know, in the same breath as Nestor. I think on the ball, he he could have easily played in midfield. That's where he wanted to play. He didn't want to play at the back. He <laughs> that's why he went on these gallivanting runs. But he loved the passion. He loved the passion of of the full county ground. He, you know, when it, whenever there was a goal, if you watch him, he he goes absolutely berserk on when we score goals anywhere, and he. he he did love the passion of the English supporters. It was a big thing to him. You know, he had he had a difficult time as well, didn't he? He wasn't he wasn't always a regular. Um, he, he found it quite difficult at times. But yeah, more so the man. I remember, great player, but the man, uh, what a man! He was a superb man and, and a brilliant addition to the the squad. And everybody loved him. Yeah. Whipping in the crosses from the left and the right hand side. Here's McLaughlin. McLaughlin to try a shot. It's off Gary Bennett, and that is the opening goal. Alan McLaughlin. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Aussie leaves nearer to the end of the season, and then another sort of iconic name from when you were young arrives in the form of Glenn Hoddle. What are your memories of him arriving? Uh, well, you know, look, look, Glenn Hoddle is he's one of the greatest players ever to play the game, isn't he? You know, incredible footballer, technically unbelievable, left and right foot. I mean, all I remember is 
his searing spraying passes for Spurs and the turn where he chips uh, Sherwood at Watford and off his line and, and goals for England and etc. But just the grace with which he played the game. So when when Glenn Hoddle comes, I, I remember thinking, where's he been? Because he, you know, he was at Monaco obviously with Arsene Wenger and learning different side of the game. But he seemed to have drifted out. Obviously injuries sadly curtailed his career later on, but. You know, he was a man who who demands instant respect just from who he is. Um, you know, we obviously were lucky enough to also have Mr. John Gorman come with him, who who is one of the most brilliant characters I've, I've met in football um, and another wonderful human being. And I just remember the first training session, you know, that they, they were very lively. John was how he was, very bubbly. We trained, Glenn trained, and just straight away... The, what he can do with a football on a training ground is obviously you worked out very quickly. That's the way he was going to teach you. You know, he he was very shy, um, struggled in one-to-one meetings. When you went in to see him, he looked down, looked around the room, found that quite difficult, first of all. Um, but sensational player and, and way above his years in terms of systems, in terms of coaching ideas, in terms of the way he wanted you to play. Um, you know, you, you can still, all these teams now, I mean, we're, you know, playing three at the back. I still haven't seen three at the back with the centre aisles on the touchline. <laughs> um, I, I, I still haven't seen the middle centre half getting it and nutmegging Steve Ball on the edge of his own box. Um, you know, I, I just, the, how high Summerby and, and Paul Bowden were or Dave Kerslake at that time, it's just, it's just incredible to think about it now. And he doesn't get the credit he deserves for the impact he had on English football in the championship because that's where it was being played. You know, the football Swindon played that year was sensational. Whether I was playing certain games or not, it, it, it was incredible to watch or, or be involved in. And, uh, he, yeah, he, he changed the face of, of, of Swindon you know, in terms of what could have been achieved, Ozzy brought a different brand. Glenn brought a style of football that, and a system that just suited the players down to the ground and, and, and got them playing, you know, some of the best football ever been seen at the county ground, never will. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I, I felt I felt fortunate to be to, to get a chance to work under him. Um, you know, another another roller coaster period for me, but that's how it was. Yeah, I mean, it's a roller coaster because I mean, I can only imagine it's because what you play only fifteen times in the league during Glenn and John's tenure as well as manager. You don't come back in the league until Steve McMahon's there, and you have a few loan spells. As Reading isn't there, you go out on loan too, and they're only one month. So they're not they're not long loan spells nowadays. There's no way you would have spent three, two, three seasons just in the periphery, would you? You would have gone at least on a season-long um, Premier League season. You, I mean, you don't play at all for for the for the first team. It, I mean, what what's going on? Were you injured during that that time, or was it just a case that you've got Sean Taylor, Colin Calderwood, Luke Nyholt, uh, A.D. Whitbread all ahead of you? Yeah, a bit of both, really, Rich. If I'm honest, the so Glenn's time. You know, anybody asks me now, I just said I was Glenn Oddle's understudy, which isn't a bad thing to say, but I generally played when Glenn was injured. Yes, you know, Colin was Colin, and he signed Sean Taylor, 
you know, uh, from Exeter, who went on to be a cult hero, rightly so, you know, put his head in front of a bus, Sean, but that those two with Glenn, you know, that was that was the back three in the in the championship side. And I did tend to play in the middle of the back three when Glenn was injured or suspended. A couple of times I played when Sean, but they were so consistent, those two. You know, it is very difficult to explain. And could I have gone? Yes. Yeah, I had opportunities to go and probably could have, should have gone a couple of years earlier, um, but didn't. Maybe it's the pull of being under that. I think, me, John, uh, I've had conversations with Glenn uh, after, obviously, like you bump into people and it's nice to see them who've worked with. You know, Glenn made a comment to my family and friends after the playoff final win at Wembley against Leicester at the do at the Devere after that he'd got me uh, wrong, you know, because w- we had a 20-strong squad that went away for five days in Bournemouth the week before the game to do preparation work, you know, to, to obviously have a bit of downtime to play a bit of golf, you know, do some activities together and try and really enhance that team spirit. And I think Glenn found out then that, you know, I was somebody who treated it very seriously, that we had to be the other 11, had to be right on the money to give them the preparation they needed to be able to beat Leicester. Because if we down tools, then they weren't getting the training at the right intensity. And that time, I think it was like two and a half weeks between the games. It was even longer than it is now. Um, and I think he, he he appreciated that very much. I think the the way we had worked, and uh, so that was an interesting one for me with Glenn. Obviously, then he left. John Gorman came in. I was on the bench in the first couple of games in the Premier League, and then I actually broke my leg in a in a reserve game against Arsenal at the County Ground, which which ruled me out for the whole season. And sadly, Swindon got relegated, so I never got a chance to play in the Premier League. And then we're in the Championship, and I. Uh, came back uh, on pre-season tour of Cyprus, funny enough of all places, and in the first game back I did it again. So I broke it again. Um, One in a million chance of getting a tackle on the same spot. And I was out for another eight months. So it was a really difficult time. Um, And that, you know, definitely coincided with the lack of matches. And, uh, And then I came back. Yeah, and I went on loan to Reading uh, actually in the top of the division where Swindon were fourth bottom, <laughs> which was quite a strange scenario. And, yeah, I went there and played, played in an outstanding team there under Jimmy Quinn. And, you know, they had some brilliant players there. A.D. Williams, who obviously came to Swindon after that. And they were second in the league when I left and, and obviously flying. And I, you know, because of what I'd done there, I came back under Steve McMahon to, uh, to go into a team that was fighting relegation. The interesting thing of that time is that I actually played in the same team as Sean. So we had two left footers and I was playing on the right. <laughs> so, you know, I played, I don't know how many games I played, quite a few in a row under McMahon, played pretty well. You know, we, we sadly went down on the last day of the season at home to Portsmouth. So there's many, there's many different factors around it, why there wasn't games, but it's a combination of two serious long-term injuries where my career was actually a threat because I couldn't break my leg again. If you do it three times, then you're done, really. So there was that. And there was also, you know, outstanding players. And I'm not making any excuses. There was outstanding players in front of me and I wasn't quite good enough to get past them. You are a victim of Swindon's success during during the, the majority of your town career. I think that's for, for sure. Even in those Premier League games where you're on the bench, there are two games where... 
you know the first one's three one, but it's got it's going either way until quite late on, and then the nil nil. Well, we're nil nil with Oldham right into the last minute, so there's no need to sort of bring you on to uh to sort of shore things up or anything like that because we were going for the win, and you just think, oh my goodness, there's a couple of minutes here, isn't there? But I mean, that's what football is, isn't it? Ifs, buts, and maybes, but you can't think about it like that, can you? No, you can't. I mean, you know that. Look, it, uh, I was I was immensely proud to be on the bench in a Premier League game, uh, the first game of the season, the excitement around it. And you're right, we went to Sheffield United and we definitely should have got a result. We played well enough to get a result, but it sort of summed up the season that we didn't. I mean, Oldham is obviously the very famous where John collapses when the goal goes in and Joe Royal picks him up. You know, nowadays, I think the other manager would stand on top of him. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's John's emotions. That was what John was. He he, he loved the club. He, he, you know, and that that was what I wanted to be involved in. You know, uh, that that's what I felt. I felt very proud to be involved then. Obviously, you can't, you can't, you know. I mean, I played three one-twos and got done by the Arsenal goalkeeper in their box. You know, that's what happened with my broken leg. You know, you can't envisage those things happening the goalie came with his feet instead of his hands it, who knows what would have happened but that's hindsight you, you can't look back you have to look forward mm. um, yes I, as I said at the start of the interview I, I feel lucky as well that I was at Swindon in, in probably the best period there in the history winning the League Cup is an unbelievable achievement in the 60s I get told about it I've seen the game back on video obviously with with John and that playing and Don Rogers I've met many times, a legend and you know, what a team that was. You know, there's been Lou Macari's, there's been bits in the eighties, Lou Macari's team, but I was there in the period of, of unprecedented success. So, you know, I was very fortunate to be there with full houses, as I said, and and that probably meant I stayed a couple of years longer than I did. But once I'd had the injuries and I came back, then I wasn't going to be doing that again. I think that's when, you know, you realise you're a little bit older and now you realise how precarious your career is. could be over like that. Flick of a switch, you're done. And I think it, it made me then, it was more about then I wanted to play consistently somewhere. And that that season we went down, you know, was the season, the season, the next season was when I left. But it was in those days where, you could give two weeks' notice. So Swindon offered me a contract. We couldn't agree. Steve McMahon has his own views on why. I have my views on why. And it sort of drifted along. You know, in the summer, there was op- I had an opportunity to go to Millwall, an opportunity to go to Swansea, an opportunity to go to Reading. I went down to all three clubs. And, you know, look, I, I, I rated myself because if you don't rate yourself, nobody's going to. And I had total belief in my own ability. And and people may find that strange, but I did. What I tell young players now, if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. Could believe you, I know. But the reality was they were asking half a million and it did make me chuckle. (laughs) I was sitting here thinking, well, you're not not offering me a contract that says I'm a £500,000 centre-half. And obviously all these teams were were still in the championship. So it was a chance for me to... To play at a high, the highest level I could, but what happens is when you can't, when you, when they're not going to pay that money, these are the old days. You're basically on a on a week to week contract, and at any time, either party can give two weeks' notice. And you know that you ask what the big fallout with Steve McMahon was. Well, it's that that he waited and waited and waited until 
October till everybody had their squads. And then he called me in his office one day and told me that he was giving me two weeks notice. And the fact that I had a son who was under a year old, that obviously had a mortgage, had a family. And the fact that I was very, very close to signing on the dole, I took not great, shall we say. <laughs> so um, I think that, that that's the facts. And I let him know in no uncertain terms that I was really disappointed with his conduct through the whole affair going back to the summer. He obviously said that's how it worked. He had to run a football club, you know, and two weeks later I was out the door and uh, not really knowing what I faced moving forward. I think that's really fair to say. And uh, equally, as he, I can easily say now, I was extremely scared of the future. Yeah, I was at that time. Were you surprised to be starting in the uh, in the semi-final second leg against Bolton? Yeah, I was very surprised. Not, not so much when, you know, obviously Eddie Murray played in that game, Wayne O'Sullivan, another great, two great lads. Uh, we're also starting in that game. Yes, I was surprised. Yeah, yeah, I, I was. Uh, you know, I was. I was surprised that I played. It's it's one of my biggest disappointments on a football field. Uh, the fact of the position we got in, and what happened in the last twenty minutes. But once you go through a long career and then you go into coaching, etc., you realise that how many times these things happen. We just didn't want it to happen in semi final. Um, because we were in such a strong position and uh, had played a pretty decent game. Yeah, I can't bear to watch it now, if I'm Mm. honest. So I I was very surprised, but even more surprised to see a ball ricochet at 800 miles an hour off a post and Jason McAteer running behind the goal and it hits him and goes in. (laughs) And that's sometimes what happens in football. And and they got the, the wave up, but yeah, immense disappointment because... Who did we play? Who did they play in the final? Liverpool. So yeah. it, it was a double-edged sword for me, uh, <laughs> and potentially a chance to play at Wembley. You know, for all of us, mm. yeah, bitterly disappointed, but an, an amazing occasion to be part of the semi-final. Yeah, know, it was one of those games where a lot of us will say Fjortov's goal was the start of the downfall. If we didn't score that, we might have saw it out as nil-nil, but when he scored, that seemed to rejuvenate Bolton, didn't it? Yeah, you're right. We, we, we were very, I felt we were comfortable. I yeah. thought we were defending well. I thought we, we had our moments, you know, we, we, we probably had a, had a little bit more possession than them at that time, but it just seemed like, and this is what can happen in games. They've obviously now gone three, one behind an aggregate and they've just gone, sod it. Here we go. Um, and they just threw caution to the wind. And I say, once they got the first one, that just that wave, it kept coming and coming. And sadly, that is what's hap- what happens. You know, he, I, I've been in charge of a Youth Cup semi-final where we, we went to Nottingham Forest. We were 3-0 down, sorry, quarter-final, 3-0 down at half-time. And we won 4-3. And at, and at half-time, you'd think this is going to be 10. Mm. Um, and, you know, we were, we, we were all over the place. But... I remember in that dressing room, I probably learned again, it's what you take forward in your life, things you go through, but it's just the first goal. It's getting the first one. And uh, it, it, in some strange ways, it, it not helped me at the time. It didn't help you as Swindon fans. I know that, but <laughs> it's helped me through my next stage of my life in my coaching. It's definitely helped me because it's, it's happened a few times. You've cut final V Fulham, 6-4 down, 20 minutes to go. And I just said to the players at half-time, I made three substitutions and I said, if we get the first goal, watch what happens. Because I'd been there in that position myself. 
And we scored the first goal with 20 minutes to go and Fulham's young players, and they're young, we were young as well, but they dropped 10 yards and that's what we did. We went 10 yards back to the edge of our own box thinking the wrong way that that's the sanctuary and Bolton went, here we go, we've got them. And they went for the juggler and they got the juggler and we did the same in the Youth Cup final and we got Fulham and that's that's what happens. It, it, it happens in life and it happens in football and um, difficult experience, but... In, in a strange way, I've taken bits from it you know, in defeat. Uh, John McGinley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, yeah. Runs a pub up there now, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, he, uh, I'm sure he tells that tale a few times over a point. Tom Jones. between 95 and, and 2003 is close to 300 league games, which we're going to whiz through. But you sort of, in my mind, because I always kept an eye on your career, because as I said, you're number five in that first ever lineup that that I saw. So I always followed all of your careers. And you sort of become, in my mind, the Sean Taylor of Walsall, really, because you're winning back-to-back player of the years and you really do find a great home at the best got, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it was it was probably the, the best period of my career. You know, what happened when I left Swindon was, as I said, it was a, it was a difficult period. Uh, I had a few offers to go uh, part-time and work, so I nearly went to Yeovil. Graham Roberts was the manager then, the ex-Tottenham legend. And they offered me the role of commercial manager and playing because they were a non-league team at the time. And I seriously thought about it because it was a difficult period. Then I got uh, wind of going to for a trial game at Walsall. Um, and I went and played. It was on a Wednesday. Uh, and they I basically played against Kyle Lightbourne and Martin Butler, who were their first-choice strikers. The rest of the teams were mixed. We played it on the main pitch. Chris Nickel, obviously, uh, you know, top centre half himself, very aggressive. Northern Ireland, Southampton, ex manager of Shearer, etc. He was the manager, um, so obviously knew a centre half, I suppose, uh, which I take as a compliment. But I played in this game, and with all due respect, you're playing like your life depends on it because it does. Um, you know. I, I put both of them two strikers into the dugout in separate tackles. Um, I, they'd laugh about it after because they obviously became great teammates and friends of mine. So, you know, I played pretty well. I had obviously a lot of fire in my belly. Uh, my team won 2 0. We came in after. You know, the first team players were asking about what was got, what had gone on in my career, where I'd come from, blah, blah, blah. And I basically signed a month contract because they had an injury to the centre half, and and you know they they came up from League Two the year before. Chris Nickel realised they needed something a little bit different in League One. If I'm really honest, I played a little bit too much football for Chris. <laughs> I think that's fair to say, and he would definitely tell you, bless him, if uh, if you spoke to him. But he improved my game, untold. Uh, another very strong man uh, with a real calm uh, influence. But when he went, he properly blew. Um, I uh, learned the understanding of not conceding goals in the last 10 minutes because we'd run the next week, all week, um, if we did. <laughs> so the clock at Bescott became one of our biggest 
uh, viewpoints for the defenders and goalkeeper. Um, but he just is working with a, a centre-half. He improved my overall defending. He improved my my uh, awareness of, of runs. He improved my decision-making, when to step out, when to head, when how to defend crosses, how to block. He, he improved my overall defending and I improved the footballing in his team. And I think that was what, what happened. It I found somewhere where I felt at home. I had a great affinity with the fans. I gave 110% every time I, I pulled on a shirt. You know, we were relatively successful. You know, the, when we won promotion to the championship, it, was, it goes down one of the greatest achievements ever because Man City, were, we put them in the playoffs. You know, the, they were backed by 35,000 every week. Uh, Kev Orlock, actually, another great Swindon player, was in their team. He still says now every week they were saying they're going to stop, they're going to stop. We didn't. We kept winning. 13 away wins, 1-0. Um, we had an unbelievable defensive record and, and I played with great players. Neil Poynton, who used to be obviously at Everton, and, you know, coming down into that league. Andy Rammel was a big target man. You know, we had we had great players throughout the team. Jimmy Walker played in the Premier League for West Ham and Crystal Palace. You know, we... We had, we had a really good team and I had a great time there. Individual accolades, yes. But what, what a time in a group. Uh, I've still got friends from that team. They were my closest friends and uh, we had a great time. We never got given anything. We stuck together. It was a small club. Everybody earned around the same money. There was no, <laughs> no big time Charlies. There was no room for Mavericks. <laughs> we, had one, we had one, Jason Brissett, but... Uh, he was on the wing. A Cockney boy came down with Ray Graydon, and he was what we needed at the time. But he certainly no. It was a, it was a great time to be at the club, and uh, yeah, I played consistently uh, and consistently well. I was I was I was lucky. I came runner up to Dwight York in Midland Player of the Year, as well as winning the individual ones. And um, you know, so they tell me if if the votes would have gone in on time, then I'd have won three in a row. But they gave it to Gino Padula, the Argentinian left back, because <laughs> people's votes were not counted, which fans still contact me now and not happy about. So <laughs> it was a really interesting time, and uh, and and I loved it. Yeah, I, I had a great time, and uh, I, as I said before, I wanted to find somewhere where I was going to play consistently. Yeah, uh, there was a challenge to my place. There was definite challenge in the championship. I wasn't always in the team. Uh, and I probably didn't accept it as much as I did when I was at Swindon. Um, oh. And that meant, you know, at times you have to move. And, and and I had five and a half great years there. And yeah, the only re I left because of family reasons, if I'm honest. I, I, you know, I wanted to, I lived in Worcester then. And, you know, I wanted to come back uh, for family reasons. And uh, Reading showed interest and I signed for Reading on a pre-contract. Walsall didn't really make me an offer. You know, I think they just felt that I was going to go. It, when they did make the one, it was too late. Mm -hmm. And uh, But, yeah, well, Ipswich away last game of the season. We took it to the last game. We got relegated on the last day, which was amazing to get that far. We lost 2-0 at Ipswich. David Johnson scored both. Tony Mowbray's great Ipswich side that, that went up that year. And they got, they, you know, it was a full-out support road and they finished third with the win. We just didn't have enough on the day, but three and a half thousand fans, um, it's Warsaw fans cheering my name until I went over to them on my own. 
at the end is something that will live with you for the rest of my life. It was a very emotional moment. Uh, I think we just got each other. And um, it was probably, yeah, being honest, it was probably the moment that I hoped would happen at Swindon, yeah. if I'm really honest. Um, but it came at Walsall and people that just took to me. They took to what I was, how I was. And I think I gave them every ounce that I had right up to the last minute I left. And, uh, yeah, I went to Reading and I worked with Alan Pardew, another fantastic manager. I had another great uh, bearing on my career. Very good in terms of sessions, training sessions, more so on my coaching. Um, I think that, you know, I, I did take a bit in terms of him with the intensity of the work. So we definitely worked intense. I was 31 then nearly. Um, and ironically, the first year we lost in the playoff final two was to the only year, it sums up my career and my luck, but the only year the game playoffs weren't played at Wembley. They played at the Millennium Stadium, Cardiff. Um, and again, we, we were 2-1 up in extra time and the Walsh had gone and they had gone. And then, one of those freakish moments where our my centre-back partner, Barry Hunter, had come on for Amy Williams, who'd had cramp, smashes the ball against Tony Rouget, our right-winger, in our own box, and it hits his head and goes in the top corner for an own goal. And then Darren Byfield scored more or less straight from the kickoff. And from being near enough in the championship, we'd lost and we couldn't come back. And it was a major disappointment. And it was a bittersweet moment because I was delighted for Walsall as a club. A lot of my ex-teammates were old teammates were still at the club. I was very pleased for them, but gutted for for my own career coming late on, um, you know. And I was playing for Reading, which was a big club. We had twenty five thousand sellouts at that stage, playoff semi final against Wigan, and and we took thirty five thousand to Wembley. Uh, sorry, Millenniums. So it was a div- it, it was a it was a bittersweet moment, but again, the character the next year as a group. You know, and again, I probably learned from the Swindon experience. We came back and we finished second and went up automatic the next year um, into the championship. And, and I probably knew then at 32, th- nearly 33, that Alan Pardew was going to build another team and it probably wouldn't involve me. Um, and that's probably, that's really what happened. I I was around the squad. I kept professional. I played a few games Norwich away, I remember I hadn't played in the first team for probably four months. I wasn't even meant to be travelling to Norwich. They went the day before the game. There was an injury and a suspension. Uh, He told me on the morning that I was going to travel. I didn't have any stuff with me. So I had to go home. They allowed me to travel down on the day with the press officer. I went to the hotel in the morning. um, Long drive down with him. And then the player who was playing, I was on the bench. He got injured after 17 minutes and I came on and, you know, Reading were in the top six at this time. So were Norwich. And uh, we ended up winning the game 2-0. And, and uh, another really nice moment for me was, and it meant a lot to me, was Alan Pardew said in front of the dressing room, he made the players give me a round of applause because he said, and he's right, I think Aidy's career has been uh, on a roller coaster by his own admissions, but the fact is he's always been professional to the to the end. And if he hadn't been professional, then he'd never been able to play like that and help us get the three points today. And and it led to me having a few more appearances. Uh, but I went on loan to Oxford, and 
did a spell there with Ian Atkins and play again to play. I was at the age I wanted to play. So, and I went to Kidderminster and worked with one of my idols in Jan Mulvey. So I was, <laughs> uh, I love that on a couple of loan spells. And then, uh, you know, yeah, I came back to Swindon. Um, I had an opportunity to, to, to come back. Andy King had took over. They offered me a, a contract and, uh, you know, I know people say you never should never go back, but it suited. I was, again, I, I was living in, in Swindon, so it, it was an opportunity. And also, like the project, you know, he wanted to try and achieve promotion and they were signing some really good players. And, uh, you know, I, I felt we had a chance. Mm. And uh, I came back at a really good pre-season, played the first 17 games. We were second in the league. Um, and then had a pretty bad 20 minutes at Chesterfield uh, as, as as did most of the team we found ourselves three down I think it was and I got took off and I never played again um, and that if you think about it which I have in years to, obviously I've had a lot of years since but if you think about it sort of like my career sort of seen it, the career ended the way it started and it was uh, it was a difficult moment and Again, how how it's different from now. I I wanted to leave the stadium and get a taxi and go home <laughs> um, because if I if I'd have waited in that dressing room any longer, I'd have probably killed him. Uh, because you're a raw emotions. You're now you know you're now 33. You're not you're not a kid. Um, it, it's even worse what happens. What had happened, and uh, that's really what happened. I Alan Reeves obviously replaced me and. You know, Alan Reeves was part of the coaching team and, you know, he's one of Andy King's favourites. I think Reeves, he wouldn't mind me saying that. And uh, it just overnight changed. You know, we we hadn't really dropped anywhere in the league. We were still in a great position, but I carried on training as hard as I could and I started actually doing some work with Swindon with the youth team. Jim Fraser, Ian Wone was actually the youth coach then. And in the afternoons, I would go and join in with their sessions and start to do a little bit of coaching and working, doing some back four stuff and helping the young defenders and trying to pass on my knowledge. And, you know, that, that sort of a little bit helped me get through a difficult period. And, you know, look, we came to an agreement and I left and uh, I went and played for all the shot. But my, my, my love for it had gone by that stage because of what I'd been through. Um, and I just wanted to play for fun again. I think people will understand this, listen to this. They probably, you know, there's a lot of players who play football for fun in non league. I had an opportunity to go and train at Cyrus to a Brian Hughes, and I trained. And he had a problem with a centre half, and he said to me, You know, if I got you signed, would you play? And they had a really good team, really young team, quite exciting team. and I enjoyed it. I did it for 18 months. I played for fun. I'd had 20 years of trying to provide and, you know, being a, being that breadwinner and where it had to, it mattered. And I wanted to, I still had the competitive edge, but I just wanted to enjoy it again. I didn't want to feel like I was in the way or, or um, yeah, like my end at Swindon, feel like you're just a bit part. I wanted to just enjoy it. And, uh, and I did enjoy so, and I met some great people who worked 12 hours a day and turned up and trained. It gave me a new respect for uh, people who, who do that outside the game. And, 
and then we got in the bar and, and we all had a drink after <laughs> most of our wages and that that was an interesting different side to it but I enjoyed it and um, that was the end of the play and I, I retired there as a player and then there was the transition into the next stage of my life and uh, they played a big part in that what an amazing whirlwind journey for a decades full of career and what blows my mind is all of this might not have happened despite playing like regular championship level football for Swindon it was very almost down to the conference with Yeovil on a good project but all of that as you say is the roller coaster but so much so much to take from it a couple of questions before we go into the qu- before we go into the coaching side yeah um what was it like playing against Swindon because you played in a Reading team that Almost all of you either played for Swindon or would go on to play for Swindon in that time. As a, as a Wiltshireman, what what was it like playing against Swindon? Yeah, it was it was pretty. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty uh, toxic. I would say uh, it was a quite a difficult atmosphere. Um, certainly, the game. I remember the game at the Medeski where Swindon beat us three one. I think it was yeah. Danny and Victor all got a couple of goals. Um, you know, and obviously that was a it was a massive result for them at the time. Uh, Razor Ruddock, I think, wasn't it? And uh, and Evans was the manager. But um, it, it, I'd played actually when I'd played both sides of it. So so when I was at Reading on loan, I then went back to Swindon. Then we played Reading uh, at Elm Park. That was a really weird experience the other way round because you know the the fans were quite kind to me. I think. <laughs> Considering that I, you know, I was then playing for Swindon, we obviously lost the game, um, but it was a Reading team flying, so they probably were only worried about themselves. Yeah, it, I didn't really realise the rivalry. Like I said, I, I've obviously been brought up on the Swindon Oxford rivalry, and there, and there was a lot of games when I was young around that. And I said about Oggy's brilliant debut that you know that was obviously Swindon against Oxford, where there was trouble at the game, there was trouble outside. It felt a horrendous atmosphere at the game. And I've also been away at Oxford, you know, and been in the stand when it's been kicking off, which was an even more difficult experience. But I didn't really realise Redden and Swindon was that, probably that bad until you play in it. Um, yeah, you obviously get, I, I got the usual from the Swindon support, <laughs> but that might have been the same if I'd have had a Swindon shirt on, so... It didn't really feel it, feel that much different to me, but I did notice it, it was quite heated, and the Reading fans, yeah, made probably probably made more of it than I thought they would, mm. if I'm honest. Um, so I think for both sets, and having seen both sides of it, as I said, yeah, it is a fierce rivalry. It really is, and I, I've I've realised that a lot more as well since yeah. uh, my career's ended. Um, you know, with with a lot of comments of things I've seen and. I've obviously, when I've, I've got friends who are Reading fans, you know, some I work with, some I, when I played there, and 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 they are they are they do take it to the, to the high extreme levels, you know. To them, it is, they love look, they'd love to play Swindon again. Yeah, it, it was it was odd because, I mean, I think we've only played Reading once since um, since that three one, and that was a nil nil draw at the uh, county ground, the same season, but. 
but it was weird when Reading were in the Premier League when you'd watch them on TV playing against all these mega sides and they'd be singing anti-Swindon songs and it's it, it's remarkable, isn't it? But, I mean, you were fully aware of the Oxford rivalry. Was that just strictly that I live locally? Oxford is, is ideal for me. Was there any... Did they treat you well, the fans? Because, you know, Swindon is Swindon. No matter, you know, Swindon's relationship fans-wise with you doesn't sound like it's ever been that great. Um, no. And... and Join in Oxford. <laughs> I remember when you returned. Returned. People mentioned that you were you had played for Oxford the year or so before, and that you know it didn't go down too well. I remember, but I mean, it's it, it's a career, isn't it? You got to play games. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I I don't remember. I mean, Oxford. No, I didn't have any problems. Probably because I went from Reading, didn't go from Swindon. Mm. So maybe that was the case i mean i didn't you know i had a good time there i enjoyed i enjoyed my spell there no i needed to go and play games you know that that was an option for me and and also at this this stage i didn't you know with things that were going on in my personal life with my children and stuff i didn't really want to want to be traveling if i'm honest uh you know that did play a big part in it oxford was still able to be travelable you know it wasn't very far from my home uh, and I was getting first team football, you know. So, so all in all, you have to weigh it all up, and and you can't you can't always think about what other people think. You know, you have to deal with yourself and your family unit or the people around you, and that that was that was the most important thing. You know, I knew that I was coming to the end of my career. I was in the latter stages of my career, and I wanted to play as many games because, as I say, early on in my career, I had a lot of time watching games and a lot of time injured. So. You know, once you get on that run, you want to keep it going. I knew it was going to be difficult, but I didn't really think too much about it. it if I'm honest, it, it didn't affect me. Maybe people were saying things, but again, social media has kicked up even more. You know, I'm sure if it happened now, I'd be let know about it. But at the time, it wasn't as wasn't as much involved. And yes, people will say things when you come back, but. You know that's that's how it was. People have always said things about me throughout my career, so I don't think it was anything new. Here's Foley. Far side is Bowling. Bowling's cross up in the air. Belgate punches away. Comes to McLaren, who hits it through a crowd of players, and he's found the net. That could well be the winning goal with just three and a half minutes remaining of extra time. Ross McLaren, his third goal of the season, second in the Littlewoods Cup, through a crowd of Bolton players and into the back of the net. Let's talk about your coaching career before we finish. And a remarkable time. I mean, it all started at Sirencester and then you joined... Jimmy Fraser, obviously, through your contacts. I imagine you'll tell me how it all came about by going and working in the development side and the youth side of Chelsea. Yeah, yes. I mean, I, you know, I, I, when I finished playing with Siren, I went and got, uh, you know, I wanted to get my coaching badges up to to a good level. I did my A license. I took a year out of the game. I, I, you know, I did normal. Again, this humbling background. I think it's important for people to understand. I just did normal jobs. You know, I worked in Honda for three months. I worked in Woolworths. You know, I drove when I lived in Reading. I was a van driver that delivered uh, pet food to, to stores. You know, I wasn't afraid to do normal work. I think people have to understand that that, for some people, is a little too much to take in. But for me, it was just, you know, that's what you've got to do. You've got to provide, so you have to go and do a job, you know. And, and alongside that, I was doing my coaching qualifications. 
And also, at times, I was working in the development centres at Swindon with Clive Maguire, John Holloway, Luke Sharps, you know, people who obviously did a tremendous job and continue to. Uh, Luke's obviously at Chelsea now with Jim as well. But the other two lads, you know, do a tremendous job over a number of years in there. Uh, Shane Hewlett, etc. And, and I enjoyed that. I coached all different ages and ability of children, boys and girls. And I and I enjoyed that. It was a chance for me to get out and be amongst the community, and and that was a really nice time for me. But but I did get to a license. I did my qualifications with the FAW in Wales. I didn't want to do it through England because I felt they were a little bit too stuffy. If I'm honest, I think you know the Welsh is quite a laid back course, and I just thought it would suit my my needs at the time. You get to a license, and then you've got to have somewhere really to be able to work to to implement your sessions. Uh, the siren job had come up. Um, obviously, I did relatively well when I played there. I had a good affinity with Steve Abbey, the chairman. I went and met him and, you know, he obviously liked the ideas. I told him I wanted to try and implement my coaching ideas. I wanted to see if it worked. I didn't know if it worked, you know, but I had a real idea of how I wanted to play. We got on very well. He offered me the job. I took Oggy in with me as an assistant and, you know, we had a really young team with two senior players. It wasn't, I, I really enjoyed working with them. I enjoyed challenging them and, you know, giving them an idea of a different way of, of working, you know, a way of coaching that obviously I've took forward with me. And, you know, in terms of how we played, we played brilliant football. Sadly, we just didn't get results. And uh, the, the harsh realities of non-league, you know, was there for all to see, you know, and it was, a, it was 18 months of embedding in. Again, a bit like the plane, quite difficult at times, but really enjoyable at other times. And I learned a great deal about how you have to manage people, taking your values into into that level of work. How people, again, just as selfless in non-league to, to do jobs for 30 years and nobody knows anything about them, but without them, the club wouldn't survive. So I met some great people. It's a brilliant club and well run by Stephen. But, but I got offered an opportunity by Jim Fraser. I'd done some work in, in Chelsea in the summer camps that they have in the school holidays gone in a couple of times, done some defensive sessions and obviously I knew Jim from Swindon and there an opportunity came up to be under 12 assistant coach. And I mean, initially, again, you know, this sliding doors moment, initially I turned it down because, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm managing in non-league senior players. Uh, what what have I got that's an affinity to an 11-year-old kid? You know, I had children of my own, I know, but, you know, what? how can I impact on them? And, and I did, I turned it down, first of all, and I think, you know, Jim was quite astounded, rightly so, really. But, you know, after a couple of days of thinking about it, luckily for me, I suppose, I contacted him back and he and I just said, you know, I've had another thing. He said, yeah, I thought you might. He, I said, um, you know, is the, is the opportunity still there? And he said, yeah, yeah, it is. So I went down um, yeah, and I worked as under-12s assistant for a year. And nine years later, I was leaving, having progressed through the 14s, 16s, 18s, and three years at the development squad, the top end. You know, I was leaving nine years later. Obviously, I had a great time. Two Youth Cup wins, beating in the other final. Two Champions League of Youth wins. You know, I remember a few Swindon fans tweeting around that time, AD Virus, you just won a European trophy. I never thought I'd say that. (laughs) Which about sums it up, I suppose, but... 
Yeah, I have, and, that, and there's not another English coach that's done that at youth level. So you know that is an, is, is makes me immensely proud. And it, and it's, some people would just say it's because you, of the resources in front of you, but there are lots and lots of of elite academies in this country and indeed in Europe that you've got to get through. It it really isn't as simple as well. I've got these players because we can reel off names all over the country, can't we? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I've gone on record and said it. I mean, the, you know, the, the Youth Cup, I mean, it, it's it, it's a period, you know, the last 10 years at Chelsea has been a period of domination in the Youth Cup, you know, apart, and apart from the last one that, that uh, Liverpool won. They'd won, you know, six in a row. So, you know, it's unprecedented. But the reality is that Arsenal, Man City, Liverpool... You know, Tottenham, certainly domestically, all these teams place a massive emphasis on, you know, when you get to the top end, 18s, 23s, you've got to try and be successful as well because you, you are developing players for tomorrow. But they've got to learn how to win because they're elite teams in Europe. So they've got to learn to win, you know, in the Youth Cup. The, for the, the, the years, I had different teams, but yeah, you know, I was lucky. I've said that I've worked with some of the best players in the world, so I feel extremely lucky, very very lucky, very blessed to have been there at that time and also to have had a small impact on their careers. Yeah. Um, in the youth league, we had the second youngest team in the competition uh, in the second year. You know, we kept nine clean sheets in 15 games and we were unbeaten in Europe in 18 months. It's not happened by fluke. We played a PSG team in the final that were three years older than us, every single player, uh, that are built like machines. And, uh, you know, we just found a way to win because, you know, they've been brought up the right way. And and obviously you're getting tested at the highest level. As I said, I feel very lucky. I feel very lucky to have actually coached in the Champions League of Youth. Yeah. There's not many people that will be able to say that um, in their lifetime. And I'm lucky. And I had a great time there. You know, as all great things, they come to an end and, and it ended. And, uh, you know, I, I can look back at it on a, with a lot of fond memories it improved me as a person. It improved me as a coach. It certainly helped me, you know, move forward. I wasn't looking to leave, but that's life. You know, I really enjoyed working in development football and I wasn't I wasn't seeking opportunities to go into first-team football. And when the opportunity came to join Coventry, uh, you know, I wasn't really looking to, to go back into work. I, I've said that before in interviews. I, at that time... I realised how much it had taken out of me driving the programme at Chelsea. I was um, mentally and physically tired, you know, and I'd, I drove, obviously I kept my home in South Cerny, so I was I was commuting, I was staying in hotels. It, it was a lot. It took out a lot out of me and uh, probably more than I realised. But um, I'd had four months out and then I got a call from Mark Robbins. Could I come and help him uh, um, at Coventry? He'd had a difficult situation. His number two had been taken seriously ill. And again, I'm in that moment again, like I was Siren Sister to Chelsea. It's, I'm coming from trying to develop players for the highest level to get into Chelsea's first team. And now what can I do is lead two players to, to help them, you know, I don't know, help the manager, help them. And I, I took a few days, if I'm honest, to think about it. I looked at their squad and I realised that they had players that had played at a much higher level than League Two. They'd assembled a really good squad and initially it was meant to be for three weeks. So I've also gone in to help somebody that I knew well. Two and a bit years later, I'm still there. <laughs> there are you've, you've got the pressure of, of nurturing 
players that have been brought in especially like Izzy Farouz for example who came to Swindon and yep. it didn't work out for him as a senior player for whatever reason I'm not privy to that and of course in that same lone trio you've got uh, Fankati Dabo who's who's with you at Coventry now who was very good for Swindon and went to the Netherlands and he is making a career for himself now and one thing that always strikes me as something that's quite difficult for uh, development managers or coaches is trying to get the best out of people that have got that raw potential but maybe they're they they've got their eyes on on things that aren't playing 90 minutes and they get lost within the glitz and glamour of of modern football uh yeah i mean probably probably rich my up you know my upbringing background where where i come from you know i'm I'm from a little town in in Wiltshire, aren't I? Royal Wooten Bastards. Now, now we got the Royal is very nice, but you know, before it was Wooten Bastards, a little town in Wiltshire. I'm, you know, I treated them all the same. I treated them all the same when I was there. I didn't have any airs and graces. You know, I demanded high standards because that's what I thought was right. And my my goal uh, as a as a development coach was to try and make first and foremost, you're trying to make them professional footballers, trying to understand the rigors. Obviously, with my roller coaster of my own career, you know, I had a lot of a lot of database that I could research back to, and I shared. You know, I was very open with them. Shared a lot about my own career. Shared a lot about things that I went through, things that I'd seen, pitfalls off the pitch with some of my best friends, how that sadly shaped them. So I think I think because you show them that you're real, means that they they understand that they've got to be real look it's an app development you could argue for three weeks in a row Mm -hmm. about development everybody has a view on development unless you've worked in it then you can't really understand what goes on in it i think that's fair to say and i think john trollope would definitely know what i mean by that it's 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 an argument that will run long and long and hard but the facts are at chelsea you know, in that stage, that decade, Chelsea were winning Champions League and the Premier League regularly at first team level. So you're talking about the the one percent, the top one percent in Europe to try and get players, produce players in. And Frankie, the fact that Frankie Darbo, Izzy Farouk, Charlie Colkett, who was at Swin, who's at Ostersunds now in Sweden, many other players that you've had, John Swift, who obviously is now at Reading, I know, but you know, there's many players, people that have been around that time that are good enough and are forging careers for themselves in professional football at a very good level. Yeah. It may not be at the elite levels of the, you know, the Tammy Abraham, the Mason Mount, Dominic Solanke, you know, Fakai Tamori, all these other players that, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with as well. It, it may not be that, but they, everyone's got their own different path. And I think it, that what I tried to do was 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 tell them that it's okay to play uh, at any level as long as you challenge yourself. Of course, they want to play at the highest level, and that and they may come back to be at the highest level. But sometimes you've got to take two steps back to come come one forward, and uh, and certainly at the high end of of the Premier League in development teams, more often than not, that's how the majority have to do it. But hopefully things are changing, certainly for Chelsea they are. And, you know, it didn't happen in my time there. But, you know, I still feel very proud to see the work that went in is now, you know, players are coming to fruition. And uh, the people in the academy, the the tremendous work they do, 
they will be getting the pats on the back they deserve and have deserved for the last decade. So it, it's it was a great journey and uh, it's nice, yeah, certainly nice to work with Fanky. Now he's a man rather than, <laughs> rather than a boy. Yeah. And of course we have Dion Conroy as well at Swindon, who's one of your ex guys, isn't he? Yeah, Dion. Yeah, Dion. Dion and uh, Dion was again around that era where you know you, you, there's a lot of conversations going on. You know, sometimes you feel that you can get to it, you can get to the level, and and sometimes, you know, you have to accept at certain stages that you can't. And I think, you know, Dion certainly in the games I've seen him play for Swindon has always impressed me. Um, I know he's had sadly horrendous couple of injuries now, bless him, but. He, uh, he he played well in pre-season against us, I thought, this year. And I think, you know, he got the captaincy. I was I was very, very pleased to see him get the captaincy because, you know, you try and also develop leadership qualities in them. And uh, and that was a nice moment to see him get that. It's just sad that he's missing, obviously, Swindon Avlin so far, Touchwood, a very successful season. Two more questions before we finish. Firstly, were you aware that you were Bookie's favourite for the Swindon job? Only because, uh, you know, you can't help but walk by shops with adverts, uh, the Swindon advert uh, around. I mean, you know, again, a, a lot has been made of this. You know, I, I was extremely humbled and, 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 and very proud to be actually me- even mentioned. Um, so whatever people may feel or hear, that those are the true facts. The facts are I rang Alan McLaughlin, who's a good friend of mine, obviously runs the youth now. And I said to him, oh, look, you know, this, I'd rather these rumours sort of get put to bed very quickly because I've basically left Chelsea yesterday. You know, my head's in a bit of a spin. You know, I don't really want to focus on any of that. I I had a personal situation going on. My my mum, who's sadly not with us anymore, was seriously ill. And I I had to devote my time to her. And that's what actually the facts is what was going on. So I said to Alan, could you just say that I'm, I'm extremely proud to be mentioned, very humbled, but at this moment in time, I have no interest in the job. And that, there's the actual facts from the horse's mouth, and that's actually what went on. Mm. Listening to you over the last couple of hours, I'm not sure if you would want it anyway. I think it's very difficult. I think it's very difficult to uh, to manage your hometown club. I think it's difficult to work, you know, when it came up, it was when my son was in college, also in the in the Swinning College. You know, my my eldest son had just you know he graduated Oxford University, so there was a lot of stuff going on, and and I think it's difficult, Rich. I think you know most of my mates are Swinning fans, and you know a lot of the people I still know around the place. And I think I think it's difficult. It's a difficult situation. I think to go in and. And be a success, you know. You, you need time, and and I'm not sure, you know. People would still go back 30 years, probably, to when I was a 20 year old uh, playing. I don't think you get enough time. In answer to your question, uh, I don't know. I, I could only answer that question if I was ever offered it, and I never have been offered it. Um, but you know, it, 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 I would nef- definitely not say 100% a straight yes. No, mm. um, I think you. You have to, like in any job, you have to do due diligence and you have to look. And, um, you know, I've always said it's a very good job for somebody because, you know, the pitch is lovely. Do a great job still on the pitch. Got great people working at the club, around the club. People who are still there from our time. There's some, some really good people. They want to make it better. 
Um, but I think I think Swindon have got a really good manager at the moment, if I'm really honest. I think they're playing a nice brand of football. We played in pre-season. They played some really good stuff. And uh, I really hope that Richie Wellens and his team, obviously Mildy, I know well, the goalie coach, and uh, I really hope they're successful. So hopefully, uh, if he's successful, the job won't come up for a few years. But um, maybe ask me at them. Indeed. And my final question, it's a regular question that I ask most people. So to finish up, when you close your eyes and think of your Swindon career or careers, what's what's the first things that come to mind of your of your time as a Swindon player? Uh, watching the, the evolution of Swindon as a club, working working under some great managers, all different types, playing with some brilliant players, you know. And uh, there's not many people that say can say they've had Glenn Oddle, Steve McMahon, Ozzy Ardiles, Lou Macari as their managers. So, you know, I, I feel very fortunate with that. And and I worked with some really good people, and I did my youth apprenticeship with some outstanding young young people who obviously now you know we're 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 fifty now. We're all celebrating our birthdays uh, at the moment this year or next year. But yeah, I, I was fortunate to do my apprenticeship with some some great great people who've turned out to be uh, you know some of them, as I said some of my closest friends in the world, and uh, you can't buy that. Uh, that beats all all forms of success matches because they're still in your life uh, 30 years later and uh, that means a lot AD Vivash thank you very much cheers Rich The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club the music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.